But when we just focus on the symptom, we miss some really important clues, which is if I want this weight loss to be sustainable, how am I going to do things differently? Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 131 of the Biohacker Raves. I'm Lauren tuning in from Maryland, my temporary slash, I don't know, forever home (laughs) here with mom and dad. It is so awesome. I'm in the woods. That does not snow behind me, contrary to. (laughs) It looks looks like like. a winter wonderland. It's beautiful. Well, I do Hi. have my tree up. Hi, Renee. Tuning in from Vegas. Hi, Vegas. Hi, Renee. <laughs> you had an exciting weekend at A4M. Oh, yes. It was so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. I mean, incredible group of people. It's really cool because I've been going to this. So it's the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. But I've been going to this conference since 2010. And I've watched it evolve over the years. Like the first year, it was very, very like medical. That makes sense. Mm. This year, I saw biohacking toys like the Brain Tap and Blue Canatine had booths. There was a dome for breathwork practice. So it's like really cool. You're seeing the anti aging medical field really go more into biohacking and wellness. There were lots of biohackers there this year, and it was their first year at the conference. So pretty so cool. Crazy. My FOMO is at an all time high. Of course. I've only been one time. I cannot believe that you've been that many times. I don't think I had quite realized that. And the one year I did go, I enjoyed it. It was educational, but I wasn't blown away because it did feel very clinical and there weren't biohackers there at the time. And I remember, is it the founder, the director that we saw eating in one of the restaurants and what was he eating? We were so appalled by his dietary choices. He's a famous cardiologist that has written many books on heart disease and he was eating yeah, Cheerios or Frosted Flakes. Yeah, some kind of cereal. Yeah. I don't, that really just made <laughs> such an impression on me. And I know that was not the most impressive year at A4M. So I can't wait now. Like <laughs> the feelings that I had over the weekend of not being yeah. there, I, there's no chance I'm going to miss next year. <laughs> Cannot it's wait. It's gone better. I have to say the one year you came, I think was my least favorite year. Oh, And no. not because you were there, obviously. <laughs> Just like the speakers and the overall vibes. I don't know what happened that year. It was like an off year for them. Interesting. Well, it's good to know that it's evolving and that that clinical medical space is opening up to other perspectives and um, health coaches and biohackers. That's so cool. Yeah. Next year. (laughs) All right. Back to the episode. We have a fabulous guest for you. Her name is Trisha Nelson. I've heard her speak many times. Um, She's been a guest at FDN conferences and she offers such a unique perspective because she's not really from the scientific lab coaching nutrition side. She is an expert on emotional eating, a topic that I don't know. Maybe I'm a little embarrassed that we did not bring her on the show sooner. This is so topical. 
it is um, so pervasive and so needed by so many people to hear her wisdom. She has an amazing program. She has an amazing book and she has really done a deep dive healing herself and now just on an amazing journey to heal others. I think today was enlightening for me and I think for you as well, Renee. Oh yeah. I was just totally vibing with everything she said. And, you know, we even wrapped up the episode saying, I wish I had met her 20 years ago. I think we all need this. And I actually gave a nutrition lecture a couple months ago and it was, I mean, this is my background with a master's in nutrition. I was like, here are the lab tests. This is the kind of diet. This is how you figure out what to eat and what not to eat. And someone at the end said, well, what if I'm an emotional eater? And I was like, that is an excellent question. That is not my area of expertise. Trisha's, she's really figured it out. Um, I think her program and her book are amazing and she's helping so many people. So if you feel like you struggle with that, like, you know what to eat and you just can't stick with it. I think you really, well, obviously listen to this whole episode, but definitely check out Trisha's work. She's, she's just doing incredible things. Mm -hmm. And has created really actionable steps, which is what we all want to know. It's like, oh, we can hear this journey, but how do we actually get started? Right. She does that really clearly. So Here's a little bit more about Trisha. She is an internationally acclaimed author, transformational speaker, and emotional eating expert. She lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Trisha is the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. Trisha is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and is a highly regarded speaker. She has been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. Trisha's own struggles began in early childhood where she attempted to cope with life's stresses and emotional pain by overeating and using other destructive behaviors. After years of exhausting 12-step programs, therapy, and self-help books to no avail, Trisha finally hit a spiritual and emotional bottom. Trisha attended Amherst College and began her career working at the Seattle Art Museum. While in Seattle, she began working with a spiritual healer who helped her create a lifestyle of positive self-care, self-love, and improved self-esteem. Trisha was able to stop drinking and overeating and has maintained a 50-pound weight loss for over 30 years now. It's quite amazing. We are so excited for you to meet Trisha. All right, let's bring her on. Welcome, Trisha, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So wonderful. We have not taken a deep dive on this topic of emotional eating. So we're really excited. We know this is a huge topic for men and women, but especially for women, food is not just nutrition to most people, uh, but a source of comfort and perhaps a distraction. And I think it's probably fair to say that right now, when this episode comes out, not as a realist, but more of a, uh, Sorry, as a realist, not as a pessimist, I think it's fair to say that people have probably bailed on their New Year's resolutions. We are in February, and I think I would love to start with the why and maybe the psychology behind food behaviors, and why do we always find ourselves in the same situation year after year? Great question to start out with, and yeah, the statistics are abysmal. I mean, 95 to 98% of all diets fail, and yet... You know, if you do a search on 
uh, Amazon right now for diet books, you'll get over 60,000 results. So, you know, it's like, it's an obsession, right? In our culture, the diet obsession is real, but it doesn't mesh with the statistic and, and, and people will continue people. That's not an unknown statistic, especially people in the health realm, but people will continue to diet. And I totally get it. You know, as somebody who was 50 pounds overweight at one time, you know, when you're gaining weight and you're binging and you're just like, you know, gone off your diet and you're eating crappy foods and you feel bad in your body, it's, it feels like your house is on fire and you want to put the fire out as quickly as possible, you know? And so you're like diet, I'll just, I'll eat less exercise more right now. And we're just going to take that weight off. So, so I get like why it makes sense that we go to diets, even though we know intellectually that it's not going to work for us. Um, And we do kind of have emotional eater amnesia where we forget, oh, that we've been on like 10 already, like 10 diets, 10 different, you know, food programs, 10 different fads, you know, we've done them and yet we end up in the same place. So why is that? Um, You know, my experience is it's really because we're not going deep enough. So we are dealing with the symptom, trying to treat the symptom instead of going to the root of the problem. And it will, it will not work, you know? And so we put our fight, we try to put our house, you know, the fire out in our house, but we haven't dealt with why the fire got set in the first place. You know, it's like, why did we gain this weight in the first place? What happened? And we can say, oh, we let ourselves go or, you know, holidays came around and I kind of just went wild or whatever. But, you know, that works for a time maybe. But if you're a chronic dieter and you chronically are going up and down the scale, which was me, I mean, I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet because I never knew what size I'd be because I would be like up 20, down 10, up 30, you know, and I, that's the way it was for me. And I can look at photos from my past. I know exactly how I felt about my body at that time, exactly how healthy I was eating at that time, because it was such an obsession for me. It just sort of marked every moment in my life is where was I with my relationship with food and with my body. So it's definitely a, a tortured, you know, a tortured journey for so many. But when we just focus on the symptom, we, we miss some really important clues, which is, you know, if I want this weight loss to be sustainable, how am I going to do things differently? Like what's, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes, what am I going to do differently this time? And to me, the missing piece and it's definitely overlooked. And I'm so grateful that you have me on to talk about it. The missing piece is our emotional connection with food. Like, why do we feel compelled to eat, even though we're not hungry, even though we know better, even though we're highly educated about what's good and what's not, you know, salads are generally better than pizzas, you know, but, but why are we drawn to the ooey gooey chewy foods instead? And to me, that's a deeper conversation. That's a deeper dive and we've got to go there. And it doesn't mean you need 20 years of therapy. Like it's like, I've taken the guesswork out of this for, you know, for my clients where it's, a step-by-step process to end emotional eating. And it's not rocket science, you know, but, uh, if nobody's asking that question of how, like, how did I get here again? Like, why, why do I go to the refrigerator five times of an evening, hoping something new will appear, you know, like what, 
what's really driving me. And those are the emotions. Those are the, you know, the, the emotional connection with food that we have that we really haven't examined yet. The roller coaster of dieting is really fascinating to me. And I actually just heard Walter Longo speak over the weekend and he showed some really interesting research how the people that have dieted five times, like dieted, binge, dieted, binge, five times were worse off than the group that had never dieted in their life. Yes. Um, so that's so interesting to me. And then I have to think of a friend 10 years ago, he said to me, he's, he's overweight. He's always been overweight. He says, I didn't get to be this weight by eating when I'm hungry. Yeah. And oh that gosh. stuck with me. And I'm like, that's a good point. Like you said, like we all know what's healthier. We, we, if we could really tune into I'm physically hungry and then eat, right. We probably wouldn't struggle with that, but that's not what's happening. So exactly. So as far as like comfort foods, why, why are those comforting to us? What's going on there? Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's usually not salads that we're drawn to you know, when we are looking for, you know, a fix. And so it is the carby foods, heavy carbs, processed carbs, sugar, highly fat, usually, you know, unhealthy fats, you know, that's what we're drawn to typically. And really it's so simple. Those are the heavier foods are the ones that put a blanket on our emotions, like we eat to numb and, and we're, salads won't numb us. You know, we'll still feel our feelings if we're eating light, watery foods. So we're, we're attracted to the denser foods because, I mean, carbs will give us a serotonin effect. You know, they'll, they will calm us and emotional eaters tend to be more, you know, a little higher on the anxiety scale. And so those are the foods that will just sort of make us go, ah, you know, like, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in safety zone now because I'm not feeling anything, you know? So it's really important to realize that, yes, we like food. I like food. I still like food, you know? Um, but I'm drawn to heavier carby foods. If I've got this torrent of emotions that I am trying to stay totally, you know, unaware of, and so I, I will put a blanket on them with heavier foods and, and literally numb out feeling no pain, you know, and that's why people snack all day. Cause they're just trying to achieve. And again, totally not conscious. Like, obviously we don't think, Oh, I'm going to just numb out these feelings. Now we generally don't think that way. We're like, Ooh, yummy pastry, you know, <laughs> you know, chocolate. So, but it's really, there is stuff going on underneath we just have never really taken that journey to get more in touch with our feelings so that we're not doing that knee jerk, you know, oops, I, I don't feel good. I'm going to reach for some food. Mm -hmm. What about dopamine? Does that play a role? A hundred percent, you know, and that's why, I mean, I, I, I really feel like we're all hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. So I like to indict everybody and say, Hey, look, we're all emotional eaters, you know, like to some degree, because it's, it's a natural, normal thing to want some comfort from food, you know, to want to check out but it can become very addictive. Um, like it did for me, like I would binge on two to 3000 calories in a sitting in front of the television, my brownies and my, you know, ice cream and popcorn. So it's like, why am I doing that? You know, and when I do it to that extreme to where I feel totally yucky and mad at myself and God, I wish I had more self-control, you know, it, it does enter the food addiction 
area. And I actually have a quiz on my website, which will tell somebody, are you an emotional eater or a food addict or somewhere in between? Just super easy to take. It's a free quiz on my website. But, but the point is, the higher up you are on the spectrum in the food addiction arena is usually when you have had that dopamine hit. Okay, it has definitely hit the reward centers in your brain. And one of the telltale signs of addiction, the classic signs of addiction is tolerance where you you get the hit and then you have to have more in order to get the same hit, you know, and that's definitely true for binge eaters where they have to eat more and have more sugar and have a sometimes the more intense form of sugar, like the coconut sugar in the healthy cookies aren't doing it. Like I'm going to go for the white, you know, the straight up white, you know, sucrose dextrose so that I can get that real, that same, you know, that hit, that addictive hit. So it's real. It is real. The struggle is real. And especially with sugar and, and processed carbs, because sugar is physically addictive. And so it's not only the emotional, you know, um, effect of, of sugar and numbing our emotions, but it is a physical, I am physically allergic to sugar, if you will, you know, sensitive to sugar where when I eat sugar, it grabs a hold of me and sugar's all I want to eat. Like nothing else is satisfying once I'm eating sugar. So, so the, the physical aspect of sugar and processed carbs is real. And if somebody's trying to lose weight, but they're still eating sugar, like they're eating, you know, measured amounts of sugar, it's going to be so much harder because they've set their bodies up to crave if they have a tendency to be addicted to sugar as well. Mm-hmm. So what is the distinguishing factor with emotional eating versus like the dopamine connection to food addiction? And and can we somewhere put in this box, like the microbiome sugar cravings from microbes versus like sheer determination from willpower? Where does that go? Yeah. I mean, my experience, I mean, I'm definitely way over on the emotional side of, you know, explaining things, whereas I'm sure you guys are better, you know, at the, at the physical microbiome, you know, aspect of things, brain chemistry, I, that is not where I live. So, but I will say that it's all, it all plays a role. There's no question it plays a role, but I find that, you know, between that conversation and the whole, the whole hormonal aspect of things too. I find that emotional eaters, it's very sexy to try to get really into the science and try to understand the science so we can hack the system. And I know this is the the hacking podcast here, the biohacking podcast, but I will just say, you know, my experience is emotional eaters are, they all, they don't just binge on food. They binge on information and they want to, they're so so driven to understand the problem so they can have a sense of control over it. Okay. So, so my clients are highly educated. They have read so many books. They've gotten so many degrees and they are not stupid. You know, they know what sugar does to them. They know what processed foods do to them. They know all about, you know, food and, and ingredients and all this And at the end of the day, it makes not one difference because they can't control their eating. And so even though, I mean, I'd love to go there with you guys, I'm not qualified to go there and do the science, but I will just say for emotional eaters, it's somewhat of a moot point because 
it, it sort of gives people an illusion of control that they really don't have and ends up backfiring on them and makes them feel even more defeated. And I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, I don't know what's wrong with me. I know better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I like, what am I doing? I know better. Like, I know I shouldn't be eating this, but I eat it anyway. And so that's why I live in that gap of why do we eat the crap when we know better? And I've done it and it's so frustrating and so self-defeating. And especially for health coaches, it's so like, it's such a disconnect, right? It's so incongruent with what we know and teach. You know, you can be teaching your client how to eat and going and eating Doritos, right? And Ben and Jerry's and be like, oh my God, I'm such a terrible coach, you know? So it's really important to dig into the emotional side of things and start really addressing that so that we can have more control in the end, but it's not through intellectual knowledge in my experience. Yeah. And I'm assuming this is where the consciousness piece comes in. Like it's obviously just on the surface, this desire to eat where if we can uncover feelings and needs, and I'm using that term because Renee and I just went through a 12 week program where we really dissected feelings and needs. It's like, you just strip back all the layers and realize it's not what you think on the surface. Is that part of your step-by-step process to uncover I'm assuming maybe it's like a certain personality traits, like insecurity or feeling like you're not enough. Is there? Is yes, there a category all, there? Of, all of the above. <laughs> so, so let me. Um, I'm going to give you a couple things to chew on. Pardon the pun. So, oh, um, so the the first thing is for those who are listening who might be like, ah, that's a bunch of hooey. I just like food. Okay. So that was me. I'm like emotional eating. I don't do that. You know, I just like food. Okay. I get it. I've been there. And which is why I'm glad we're having this conversation because you can't unhear it. Okay. So when, when I heard about emotional eating and I was like, fooey, I then started to observe my eating and be like, huh, like, it's not really that normal. You know, like I'd go out to lunch with friends and, and they'd, you know, we'd all order a sandwich. It would come with fries and they'd eat their sandwich and pick up their fries. And I'd sit there and I'd be like, how could they do that? Like, how could they just leave French fries on a plate? Like that's sacrilege. (laughs) And so I'd be like, I'd eat my fries and pick up my sandwich. And so, you know, I started to realize I was not so normal. Like I had a different reaction to food than a lot of other people had. And so it's really important to know that, you know, once you, I mean, the good thing is we're having this conversation. So people will start to observe maybe things from a different standpoint. So what I want to do is offer the PEP test and the PEP is PEP is an acronym PEP. And this is a way for people to start understanding, you know, I mean, we already know what food does to us, but this is more a a reframe where we're starting to look at what it does for us. Like, how are we emotionally using food? So the first P in PEP stands for painkiller. We talked a little bit about this, about numbing uncomfortable feelings, numbing pain, you know, and there's plenty of pain to go around. Okay. So there's like, uh, relationship issues, there's work issues, there's building a business issues, there's a sick parent, a sick child. I mean, it's like no shortage of pain in our in our world, right? And so when we feel uncomfortable feelings and we don't want to feel it, we can anesthetize with food. And this is why we use the heavier foods again, because that's what's going to you know have the anesthetic effect. 
It's going to numb us out. So that's the first P. The E in PEP stands for escape. Because as emotional eaters, you know, we're so responsible. We're such good, you know, good do-gooders, right? Um, but we also, overeaters tend to be overthinkers. We have a racing mind and we tend to worry, okay? So oftentimes we're just tired and we want to check out. Like we just, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to listen to our minds anymore, which are constantly badgering us. Like you did that wrong. What's wrong with you? You know, you should have eaten that, not this, you know, like you, you should be nicer. You should be prettier. It, it goes on and on and on. And sometimes we just want to escape that food's great for that. Right. I would get my goodies. I'd sit in front of my favorite TV show and it's like, I'm out of here. You know, I don't want to deal. Okay. And so that's a typical way that we use food in an emotional way as well. And the last P in PEP stands for punishment, which seems counterintuitive because yummy foods are meant to be a reward, right? Like this is how I reward myself. But if for anybody who's like me, where you intend to reward yourself, but then you keep going and you binge and you feel stuffed and you have crumbs down your sweater, you know, and you just all of a sudden feel terrible. And the next day you've got bloat in your face. And so you take your video off of zoom, right? You don't want to be seen or you don't want to go out with girlfriends to lunch. Uh, that's not exactly a reward, right? Like that is more of a punishment. And so it begs the question, like, why am I doing that to myself? You know, my experiences overeaters tend to be over feelers and we feel guilty about everything. And so food, even though we do use it as an escape or, or a painkiller, it has a built-in effect of punishing us. Like it backfires and we punish ourselves with food, you know, especially with the things we do to get rid of the food. We either purge or we jog an extra five miles or we just like me, I couldn't purge. So I am, I certainly tried, but I, I would end up just wearing it, you know, and watching my body, you know, um, morph in front of me. And it was so awful, but I kind of like, I think had a hidden need to hurt myself. And so I was literally abusing myself with food. So to recap, the PEP stands for painkiller, escape, and punishment. And I like this little PEP test because for those who are like, that's not, you know, I don't do that, but you can start observing, you know, when you're going to the refrigerator a bunch of times, hoping for something that will give you that hit, it's like, ask yourself what's really going on. Like, is there something I'm just not comfortable about? Or is there something I'm replaying in my mind I'm trying to get away from? Or am I feeling bad about something and need to address it? So it's just a way to start making a connection between our emotions and our cravings, you know, because it's there. We just haven't, we haven't built the muscle of looking for it. So I find that to be super helpful. And I have a whole nother piece, but I'm going to let you talk for a second. <laughs> I love that. Well, if I, yeah, if I can jump in. So what you've been saying about like food addiction versus emotional eating and like the overlap, this is really fascinating to me. I think with my background as a ballet dancer, I, I was addicted to food. Like that's all I thought about all day, every day, but I was in like the restriction camp of sure. So tracking what I was eating, I said, you know, if I eat only 500 calories a day, 
I'm a better person. I'm more successful. Like I kind of like held my worth to how much can I restrict my calories in a day, which is just, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's interesting how there's so many different paths of this kind of disordered eating that people can fall into. Totally. And I, and I think disordered eating is the right term for it because it's not necessarily you have an eating disorder straight up, but it is not normal. Like it's not normal and it's not healthy, you know? So if you restrict what you eat, you know, uh, you're, you're going to get hungry. Your body's going to be pissed off, you know? And that's how we end up. That's how we end up binging. Right. It's like, and that people run into that with intermittent fasting, you know, it's like, if you go too long without eating something, you know, my emotional eaters often will totally break out and binge because they've gone so long without eating. And that's the danger, you know, uh, or the liability of intermittent fasting for emotional eaters. Cause we kind of have that, we sort of have that warning uh, system inside. That's like, Oh my God, I'm starving. Like I'm starving. I'm going to die. You know? And so when you open wow. up the window, you go overboard. So that's a, that's a thing. But you know, my experience is emotional eaters come in all different shapes and sizes, and you can be an under eater and still be an emotional eater. It's not necessarily a binge, a, a, a binger or an obese person who is an emotional eater. Like it's, it can be, I mean, I have clients who are normal size, but they are obsessed with food. They are obsessed with their weight. And so I consider that to be an emotional eating as well. It's not just the eating part. It's, it is the obsession. Like that's a big part of being an emotional eater, you know, is how much eating, eating and what we're going to eat and how we're going to get rid of what we eat and how we're going to, you know, punish our bodies so we can get them to do right. You know, all that stuff is part of like, it's really part and parcel of being an emotional eater because the obsession takes us out of our feelings as well. You know, thinking about food takes us out of our reality. And so we're not present. So it's still got the numbing effect. It still gives us an escape because we're not present in our bodies and in our emotions, you know, and it's certainly a punishment because it sucks to be thinking about food all day long. It certainly sucks to starve ourselves. Right. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's it's all part of the deal. Yeah. Gosh, you're just providing so much clarity around this. And I'm feeling uh, there's part of this that's really resonating with me. Obviously, Renee and I are both dancers and I went to college for dance and I was on this pretty icky cycle where during the week I was really, really restrictive, sort of like what Renee was saying. But then on the weekend, on Sundays, I would just binge because I didn't have to wear a leotard that day and no one was looking at me. And, you know, I, I had a teacher once that she put up her fingers. It was like, if you could just get this much off of your thigh and that, always it just was so ingrained in my brain that I was just like a little too wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that binge on Sunday was not just the release, like I can eat today, but it was also, I'm going to punish myself so much so that I do not want to eat during the week. And it kind of just never ended. It it certainly was a punishment. And I'm not sure that I ever thought of it as a punishment. And I think that leads me into my next question. I think everyone probably is curious, like what was the tipping point for you? Was there a pain point? Because I think Renee and I have found our own tipping point and our own healing journey. What was it for you that really brought you out of that? Um, I basically, 
you know, I got, I remember the moment where I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Like, and for me, you know, I did gain a lot of weight and as you know, we know I was 50 pounds overweight and I, and I was this yo-yo dieter. And so I'd, you know, get on a, on a kick, right. On new food plan, new program. And when you first start losing weight, you're like, I'm doing it, looking good, feeling good, you no, know, getting all these compliments, you know, pants getting looser, you know, so it feels wonderful. And so the high of losing weight kind of replaced the food. So I was still, I was still kind of numbing, but it was with the ride that, you know, the, 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 the great ride of losing weight and buying new clothes, you know, I was totally self-obsessed, you know, and that sort of replaced the other obsession, the food obsession. So it works for a time, but it's going to pale because it's not substantive, you know, it's just another obsession. And so eventually with uh, quite a lot of weight loss, I started to feel my feelings that had been buried by food and fat before. So, I mean, it's like, I, I often say to people, it like, sure, you want to lose weight, but can you handle being in a thinner body? Because what that means is you're going to have a bigger container of feelings. If you're not numbing out with food, you know, and, and the excess weight, you're going to have more feelings. I promise you. Are you set up to do that? And again, this is why the diets fail, because when we take away our favorite foods, what we have left are feelings, you know, and if we don't have new tools, for addressing our feelings, we'll freak out and be like, I need my chocolate. You know, that we'll just go right back to what we know. And diets don't give you new tools for a living. <laughs> you know, they take away your favorite. They basically take away your number one coping tool and you don't have a backup plan. And so that's what I needed is a backup plan. So I started to have all these feelings that came from not being anesthetized with food without new tools for coping with stress and feelings and life, you know, and, and I was, I, I remember the moment I was sitting there, eat, I ate a whole bowl of red grapes. So, so I hadn't gone to get donuts yet. I just was off my plan enough to binge on red grapes, which wasn't the worst thing I could binge on, but I knew what was coming. You know, it was sort of like I had, I was already starting to lose control and so the sugar, of course, and the grapes I was definitely into, uh, but I knew what was coming. Like it, it was like, I was, I was starting to lose my grip and I just thought to myself, I can't keep doing this. Like I cannot keep doing the yo-yo thing. It's so unhealthy. Like you were saying, what Walter was saying, it's like, it's so unhealthy. And I just, I sort of threw up my hands. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't keep doing this. And really by the grace of God, I, I happened to meet somebody who was, became my mentor, really a, more of a spiritual healer who helped me take that deeper journey, told me it's not about the food. It's not about the weight, which is my mantra now for people, you know, let's go deeper. And so, but that was my, that was my moment just to answer your question is like, wow, you know, is this going to be the rest of my life for the next 80 years? I'm just do the yo-yo thing or what? Hmm. But also yeah. the divine timing of meeting the right person that could support you. Totally, totally divine timing. I love that. Absolutely. What's up, biohackers? Happy New Year. We wanted to interrupt today's show to tell you about a next level wellness drink that we've been sipping on this past year. 
It's available in a quick and easy shot or in a powdered stick that easily mixes in water. The powder is my personal favorite, and that's what I'm sipping on at the moment. But either way, it's simple and easy when you're on the go. And let's face it, we're on the go a lot, and our bodies need extra support against all of the daily stressors like work, exercise, partying, you name it. And this is where Coast comes in because it helps flush out toxins, replenish lost nutrients, and repair our cells. Yeah, it is so awesome that it combines so many cutting-edge ingredients into one drink, like an NAD plus precursor, antioxidants, vitamins, and amino acids. We love drinking it a few times a week, either post-workout or to prepare or recover from drinking alcohol. In a nutshell, it helps flush out the bad stuff and put more of the good stuff back in. Plus, there's no sugar, no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. Yeah, and it's actually the first advanced wellness shot created by a cancer researcher using real science designed to keep you healthy and feeling great. So we love it so much. And if you're curious and you want to check it out, go over to coastdrink.com and we'll put that link in the show notes for today's episode and you can learn more about it. And make sure you use code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 15%. I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are resonating with everything that we're saying and they are maybe at that tipping point and they're like, so what do I do? Where do people begin if they feel like they're at that breaking point? Yeah. So, um, it's, I mean, it's really a blessing in disguise, you know, to, to, to be at that point where you're just like, I'm not dieting anymore. But unfortunately, some people think that just means you let yourself go and you just like, I call it fat serenity. Like you just like, don't care you know? And so that doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Which I, you know, that's a whole other topic, but I I see that a lot where I'm like, that person has just, I think, given up. Yes. And it's understandable because diets have such a dismal success rate. So if you are struggling with food and weight and you've failed like so many times, you, you know, you just don't want to put yourself through it anymore. You're like, I don't, I can't bear the disappointment and the heartache of getting my hopes up and then going through the same darn cycle. And so, um, I get it. And I mean, the beautiful thing is there is a solution that is a non-diet solution. So people think if I, you know, like they have family members who want to help, you know, and they're well-meaning, but their help usually comes in the form of telling them, essentially when you boil it down, eat less and exercise more. Like I know this doctors can help you, or I know I've got, I heard about this great plan. And in their mind, it's like, no, 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 no. I've done it. I have done all of it. I can't do it. I fail every time I'm not going there, you know? And so the nice thing is there is an alternate plan. <laughs> okay. And that is to address emotional eating because if people aren't emotionally eating, the weight loss is, it just comes, you know, and you don't have to focus on it. You don't have to make that your goal. If you focus on self-care and addressing the underlying causes, you know, and dealing with stress, which has to happen. Um, but you have this new set of tools to deal with life. So food isn't your go-to for coping. Oh my gosh. Like then it just, the weight loss happens without it being the focus. And that's, that's the good news. I mean, the good news is you don't have to do that. So, but to answer your question of what do you do now? I mean, I definitely, I mean, I do approach this from a new standpoint 
happy to recommend my book, you know, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps and Emotionally Eating Now. It's on Amazon for 10 bucks. It's also on Audible. Um, it's a five-hour read, you know, on Audible. And I, I narrated it myself. And so it's a really good reframe of the whole thing. Um, and so I certainly recommend that to people. I do have a podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show as well, where I get into the underlying causes. But I will say in a nutshell, get off the diet track, like just commit to not dieting anymore because it is disappointing and it is unhealthy, you know, if you don't go deeper and deal with the underlying causes. So even if your house is on fire and you're so tempted to do something rash to get the weight off right away, look at your record, like look at your record. How well has that worked in the past? And I don't care how much you dress it up as like keto or intermittent fasting or vegan or like for emotional eaters, it's another diet hack. You can point to the, I'm not saying the science isn't good, you know, but, you know, put through the filter of the emotional eaters experience. We tend to just want another hack, you know, for losing weight fast. And so I say, you know, you know, take a step back and think about really starting to go on that inward journey um, of addressing emotional eating. And I will say it's really hard to do on your own. And that's why I do my programs all in groups. Because when you, one of my seven simple steps of overcoming emotional eating is to have community with other emotional eaters. And the thing is, is we, we've spent so long feeling like a pariah because we can't control what we eat. And it's a very humiliating experience that brings a lot of shame, you know, and a lot of secrecy. You know, I never binged in front of other people. <laughs> like it was always a right. private, right? Like it's a yeah. private thing. You don't want people to know you get rid of the rappers, the evidence, you know, I would binge in my car, listen to the radio. So nobody knew what I was doing, throw away the evidence before you drive into the driveway. And so that all that shame, that secrecy, you know, the guilt when you're in a room on zoom. Okay. Thank God for zoom. Um, when you're, but you're in community with other emotional eaters, it just, woo, it just opens up your world and so much shame can, you know, really evaporate by realizing, Oh, I'm not the only one. Cause we always tell ourselves we are. I mean, I used to do, I mean, it was so bad for me that like I'd binge and then because I wasn't able to throw up, I would get so full. I'd be like, I'm never eating this food again. I feel totally stuffed. And so I'd sort of gather all the wrappers and the excess, whatever I couldn't finish. And I throw it out. But then after passing out on the couch for a few hours and having a little bit of digestion, I'd have a little bit more room in my tummy. So I'd literally go digging those cookies out of the trash and I was like, I am the worst person in the world. <laughs> you know, like I'm so bad. And of course, I'm telling myself I'm the only one who's done this. Well, I did this a long time ago, like a reenactment of that garbage eating. And I put it up on YouTube and I had like 60,000 hits and like dozens of comments of, oh my God, I've done that. I mean, over a hundred comments of I've done that. And it's just amazing how we all think we're the only ones. So community is super important for just taking away that shame and realizing, oh, okay, you know, there's a way out and I'm not so bad because I have this problem. We're all in really good company. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so, common. so hard to not think about that show physical with Rose Byrne. Have you seen oh. it? I have not seen it. 
Oh, my oh, gosh. It's, it's intense. really hard to watch. So Rose Byrne has an eating disorder. And, you know, I love her as an actress. I love her. I love her. But it's it's really difficult to watch. And I think what came up for me in, in watching that, or I think what the takeaway was, was she was having trouble, well, one, connecting and having community, but also expressing herself. And that, so her arc in the show is that she finds out that she loves teaching dance cardio. And so she begins to dance and that's her expression. Yeah. I remember, so I have my little notebook from the last time I heard you speak. Okay. <laughs> and I don't want to give too much away from the book, but I remember you saying that communication is one of those steps. And I think for women, that's so huge. I think a lot of women have issues expressing themselves and maybe that's why we see dysfunction like in this area of the body, that chakra, like the throat chakra, we have thyroid yes. issues. Such a huge challenge for women to not feel like they can express themselves. So how does that come in to play? Like, how do we learn to express and, and will that naturally kind of put everything else into place? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a big part of what I teach clients is how to speak up for themselves because we do, we eat our words. It's like, I want to say this, but I'm just going to stuff it down like and act like I don't need to say that, (laughs) you know, because the fear of somebody being displeased with us. And this is the other piece that I was going to get into, which is the anatomy of the emotional eater. And the anatomy of the emotional eater is a a phrase I, I coined many years ago, but it's stands for about 24. I've listed about 20, and this is in the book. I've listed about 24 personality traits that make up the emotional eaters personality. And this has nothing to do with food, except that these traits lead to overeating. And so I'll give you the top trait, which is people pleasing. And so emotional eaters are consummate people pleasers because we want to be liked and we get, we tend to search for validation from outside of ourselves. We want those other girls. And this often comes from kind of, you know, maybe as a kid, we didn't have a strong sense of self-esteem or we had dysfunction or trauma growing up. And so we didn't get a strong, you know, inner foundation of self-love. And so we're always scanning outside, seeing where we can get it. So it it drives this need to people please, need to overdo, you know, overdo, overcommit, overschedule, which is all overeaters are overdoers, you know. And so basically, how does that like what does that got to do with food? Well, when we people please, when we knock ourselves out, we not only burn out our adrenals, you know, our thyroid, and 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 we get really tired. But we also get super resentful, which is another one of the traits of the anatomy of the emotional eater. And so we're, we get resentful because people are never as pleased as we plan on them being. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, wait, wait thank you. Like, yeah. did, you Where's know what attention? I just did? Yeah. Like, I just knocked myself out. So, um, so basically, it's the perfect prescription for the I deserve it binge. Like, screw them, you know? And so... And, but those are good examples of why it's not about the food, you know, and why just changing your diet won't get you there because it's more of a living problem than it is an eating problem. Like we have to fundamentally change how we live. And, and I got into all that to say, we don't speak our mind. We don't say our truth because of that people pleasing nature. We don't want to disappoint. We don't want to piss anybody off. And we're also just not strong in who we are. And so we, we shrink, you know, we shrink and we just eat and stay quiet. 
so we have to change that. Like you, I always, in my book, there's a cartoon that says, say it or stuff it. You know, it's like, it's one or the other. Like we have to take the risk of saying how we feel. And I literally teach people how to do that because if you've never done it, you don't know how to do it, you know? And so it's like yeah. easy to say, speak up. But, you know, when you've been quiet for so long and, and self-monitoring all the time and editing everything, you have to learn how to speak up and practice how to speak up. But absolutely, it is such a vital part of the healing journey to step into who you are, you know, and say like, just stand flat footed and, and say, this is me and this is how I feel. And there's another saying, which is say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. So sometimes when we've been quiet for so long, when we do speak up, it comes out like a fire hose, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> and, <Watch out. laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Watch out. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's really important that we, and there's work we can do. We can write about it, you know, write out our feelings, get the anger, the, the sting out first, um, which it's always, I mean, so much of the time, it's really about us. I mean, we're really angry at ourselves, you know, but um, especially if we haven't spoken up, you know, past resentments, if we take a real good look at them, it's usually because we didn't express what we needed. We didn't say it. So, it wasn't given to us or we didn't, you know, somehow get what we need and then we're pissed off, but you know, who's really to blame. And so this is why it's so important that we start using our voice so we can stand for ourselves, you know, and let people know that we are here, we're taking up space and we have needs, you know, but that's a scary thing. And I think especially for women, not just emotional eaters, but for women overall, it's just, we're just not comfortable with that, nor are we comfortable with self-care because we're so used to taking care of other people and that seems to always be our role. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a new thing for us to take time for ourselves, you know, and I teach that all the time. Like you have to have a morning routine of getting still and quiet, you know, meditation, prayer, spiritual readings, going for a walk in nature. You got to do something to get still and quiet and get grounded in who you are, you know, get connected with your divine spirit so you can draw from that throughout the day when things get stressful or chaotic, you know, we're, whereas if we just pop out of bed and we're on Instagram or Facebook, you know, and we haven't taken that time invested in ourselves, I call it putting money in your spiritual bank account, you know, put some deposits in that you can withdraw from later. Otherwise, we're, we're trying to get withdrawals from chocolate or coffee. Yeah. yeah. So if someone has that feeling like something stressful happens and then they want to reach for the candy bowl or whatever in the moment, would you recommend they do that instead? Like meditate or whatever? Yeah. Although, moment? you know, when our hands in the candy bowl, it's too late. Okay. <laughs> so it's really hard to take the can out, out of the candy bowl. It's a okay. good idea. Of course you should, but you got to have um, that bank account is, built up first. Exactly. And okay. that's, what's so important is in the moment when we're face to face with a donut, it's really hard. You know, the craving is strong and it's hard to say no, excuse me, but that's why, you know, really making it a thing to have a morning ritual where you are nurturing yourself and really feeding your deeper hunger, right? Because it's not donuts or, you know, candy that we're hungry for. It really is a deeper hunger for connection, for connection with our own spirit, you know, for 
um, just a sense of order and peace. Um, that's what we're craving. And so we have to really set up our day and give that to ourselves so we feel more nourished throughout the day. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel stressed. It doesn't mean we're not going to have temptation, but we have a better chance of saying no if we have put money in our, our spiritual bank account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I remember I heard Dave Asprey say something about willpower, how you know, if you did like you meditated that morning, you grounded that morning, it's like, you're not relying on that willpower. Cause by the end of the day, yes. the willpower is co- totally out the window. Totally. But you have that spiritual bank account to draw from. That's exactly. Awesome. Makes a lot of I'm sense. just, I have a question about the addictive side. Like if you are going back for that dopamine hit, like for you, you said you were able to transfer that obsession to like buying new clothes. Yeah. I've worked with clients that end up confessing that they don't want to lose weight because they don't want to have to buy new clothes because that is the financial expense. And I don't know if that's an excuse. Of course it's an excuse, but do you find that the addiction will just kind of transfer over if you are able to overcome that? Like, can we actually heal an addictive behavior or tendency Yes, absolutely. I mean, I believe you can, but it takes a lot of diligence and a lot of work, you know, so it is, you know, addictions are like a -a whack-a-mole, you know, because it's in in my feeling, I have a totally addictive personality. My feeling is like, why stop at one, (laughs) you know, like, and if it feels good, you know, why not do it more, you know? So, um, so I've been addicted to many things, but as I get more conscious and realize what I'm doing, you know, I've let go of a lot of things and I've let go of needing to use those things. Again, the PEP, the painkiller escape and punishment, it works for anything. You know, that same drive can be, can be used, um, applied to any other kind of addictive, uh, habit as well. So getting hip to, the motivation, getting hip to the idea of, I don't want to feel right now. I'm going to just bury myself. And some people are like, I'm going to, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it anyway, you know, and I understand that as well. Although again, if you, if you do do the deeper work, you know, you'll have more self-care and more self-love to where you don't want to do it anyway. Like it can literally heal your craving because it'll hurt to hurt yourself. You know, when you still have a lot of negative thoughts and, and feelings about yourself that you've buried, it's really hard to want to do better for yourself. But when you do do that work, you come to want to treat your body with respect. You know, it's like, I call it weight loss from the inside out. When you want to do good for your body, then salads aren't a punishment. It's like you crave salads. You want more light, watery foods because you want to treat your body with respect and you want to feel good about your food choices. So it really there's a big shift when you clear out the stuff that you're burdened with, you know, the emotional baggage. It's like, it's really beautiful where you're like, no, I want, I want something that feels good that I feel good about later. It's a big, big difference between eating something that feels good and eating something that makes you feel good about yourself. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, so, I love yeah. salads and I'm, I, I feel like meditation helped me to love salads. I know it sounds silly and I'm not sure that I would have been able to explain it before, but meditation was my gateway out of that, out of those compulsive, obsessive yeah. thoughts. It was a way to calm my mind and redirect my attention. And for me, it was like, I was never overweight, but I did have that obsessive behavior and 
that was a game changer being able to calm, yes. calm down that inner. Well, yeah. Loss. And bec- yes, because you also, you built that muscle of being able to be with you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what meditation does. I mean, people say, oh, I can't meditate. My mind's too busy. Well, that's kind of the point, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, and if you expect yeah. to have your mind not busy when you're meditating, you know, get over it because your mind will still be busy, it, but it might go from 50,000 miles an hour to 10,000 mile, miles an hour. And that's a major improvement. Go with it, you know? Totally. And so we tend to judge our meditation and think, oh, I'm not doing it right. So we don't do it, but it's no, if you're sitting down and being quiet, you know, that is a rare thing and it will enable you to just be more relaxed and be with you. And there's so much of the reason why we're looking for something to distract ourselves is because we're not, we haven't built the muscle of just being, mm-hmm. you know, and being with our yeah. feelings. And that's, it, it's so incredibly valuable, you know? So it's like you, it's the meditation helped you just be with you. And so you didn't need to distract and constantly looking for something to, you know, run away from yourself with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I personally went from, you know, restricting food to, I was addicted to alcohol and then caffeine. And then I was addicted to exercise. Well, I never stop really at thought, one. <laughs> yeah. But I never thought about it until now that my meditation practice does kind of line up with when that started improving. Mm, I think I just getting out of that sympathetic state 24 seven and yeah. you're right. Sitting with yourself, being okay with who you are. Yeah. You, you stop looking for all those distractions. Totally. Yeah. It's so hard. And I think that's as biohackers, we love that there's new technology. I know you're not much of a, like a, a data tech person, but there's a lot of resources to help people with meditation. Cause I think if you are of that personality that will easily just have guilt and beat yourself up, meditation can feel a little discouraging, but, um, I love something that Renee and I learned recently when you're meditating, you can congratulate yourself for coming back when you catch your thoughts kind of wandering, you congratulate like your inner cheer- cheerleader yes. is like, yes, I came back. I came back. Cause it's totally human for your thoughts to wander. And there's some really cool tech out there that's able to help, you know, bolster that practice. Cause it's hard. It is so hard. And I love, I do, I like insight timer and the gong and like, you got to kind of make it a little bit more fun. Oh, tell us more. <laughs> what do you use? How do you I use, use I use insight timer and you can set it to where it gives you a little gong and you can pick your gongs. And so at the beginning of my meditation is I do transcendental meditation. So at the beginning, it's like it gongs. And then 20 minutes later, it gongs again. And insight timer does have a ton of guided meditations as well. I mean, I like the practice of really getting it, like really being quiet with a mantra because it's hard, but it's an amazing discipline, you know, for your brain, your monkey mind. But I tell people, if you can't do that, if it's too stressful for you, do a guided meditation because just sitting down and having somebody talk peacefully to you. And there's one's you know, that help you. And so, like there's sleep ones you can do. Um, oh, well the aura ring. I saw one of you had an aura ring on that. They have great yeah. s- sleep ones. There you guys go. They've got amazing sleep stuff. So all that stuff, it's all good. You know, it all will help bringing stress down is so important, you know, in this day and age. So, but that's the, that's the one I mean, there's a calm app as well. I mean, there's lots of different things people can use, but, um, yeah. 
you know, if it makes it a little more fun, makes you want to do it's sort of like drinking water. If you get a really cool glass, you know, or mug, you know, you might drink more water, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, whatever right. it takes, right? Yeah. Get the yeah. right gong sound and you're in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we can use technology to our advantage to optimize that. So you bet. Amazing. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. Before we let you run, we'd like to ask one final question. Uh, one sure. final piece of advice, something that people can start doing right away. Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to give you my mantra, which is it's not about the food. Like it's, and that's, it takes a while to kind of get that. It's not about the food. And, um, I, I'd love to recommend my free quiz to find out where you are on the emotional eating spectrum. You know, it's a great place, um, to start as well as find out where you're on the spectrum. It's at healyourhunger.com. And, and then, then you kind of know, like I give you steps from there, depending on your personalized score. Amazing. Yeah. And we'll link to that in the show notes. So yeah, healyourhunger.com. You said the quiz is there. Um, You're also on Instagram and Facebook. So we'll share that with everyone. Wonderful. Thank you ladies so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And thanks for your amazing work that you do in the world. Oh, thank you so much. I I almost wish we had had this conversation before. I can't wish that way, but we are so, (laughs) so grateful to have you here with us. Thank you so much for spending your time. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing. I know you're helping so many especially women out there. And like Lauren said, I know I wish I had met you 20 years ago, but the universe works the way it's supposed to. So it's so great to connect with you. Thank and you. And thank you to everyone that tuned in today. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.